Good morning, Mission View. How you guys doing? Everybody have a good week this week? Wow. Okay. I'm going to switch sermons here. Flip over. No, I'm just kidding. Well, my name's Matt. I'm the lead pastor here at Mission View. And um, if this is your first time, we are so glad that you came to worship with us this morning. Uh, man, just an uh, awesome time of worship today. I'm thankful that Jesse let me play with the band. That was fun. And uh, now i got to switch gears just a little bit. Um, how many people were out at the park with us last week? How many? All right, awesome. Was that a great time or what? I mean, get, yeah, getting, yeah. And while we're clapping, why don't we give um, all, the, all the servants that came along, all the setup team, the sound people, uh, uh, Jordan with the worship team and Jesse putting all the stage together and the tent and everything. Let's give them just a, a thank you, a big thank you um, last week. You know, here at Mission View, we want to be a church that's a part of our community. Not the ch we know that the church isn't a building. The church isn't in four walls, that we are the church. You and I are the church. And as we go out into our community and we share the love of Christ, that's what the church is all about. And um, it was just a really exciting time. Just a couple of things I wanted to share with you from last week. Um, as I was preaching, and I'm sure as the music was going on, but as I, was, as I was on stage looking out, there were so many people walking by that would stop and listen and, and um, check things out. We had so many cards that people filled out asking about Mission View Church and asking about a relationship with Jesus Christ. I spent most, yes, amen, right? Uh, I spent... A lot of time this week, and Sarah Mast as well, sent, spent a lot of time this week uh, making phone calls, uh, sending emails, messaging on Facebook to people who were interested in, in this God that they heard about on Sunday. So, man, it was, um, I was completely overwhelmed. Awesome stuff. So um, this week, we are going to dive back into our series called Finding Joy in the Journey. We finished chapter one, and we found an amazing selflessness in Paul. As he's in prison, he's in chains, he talks about joy and rejoicing over and over again as we're going to go through the book of Philippians. So how does Paul, in his suffering, in his chains, in captivity, how does he have such joy? Well, we found that he has this, this amazing gift from God of selflessness. And through his example and from what Scripture teach. Uh, we found out that our suffering isn't wasted. In fact, nothing is wasted in the kingdom of God. Really, in chapter 1, we find out that joy is found outside ourselves, not inside ourselves. It's found in relationship with God and relationship with others. We ended the last sermon in this series with a very important point that Paul was making. He said to live a life worthy of the gospel and then proceeded to explain that the life worthy of the gospel is a life lived out in, in real community, together, honest, transparent with one another, that we need each other. That's one of the main things Paul's going to point out as we're finding joy in the journey is that we need each other. Paul continues that theme of community right into chapter 2, but starts off with almost a warning against something that could cripple community if it's not laid at the foot of the cross. What is the one thing that we all struggle with? What is the one thing that, if we get our mind set on, can make a miraculous difference? There is something that clouds the landscape of our lives. 
something that shelters us from our weakness and our struggles. It even cripples us from caring for those around us in a healthy way. It confuses us. It lies to us. But does it in a, such a convincing and alluring way. We are so prone to it that's almost second nature for us. What do you think it is? Pride, that's right. Pride blinds us to our own blindness. Pride is like me walking in here in a blindfold, but not thinking I have a blindfold on and trying to find my way to my reserve seat, right? We all have reserve seats. I say, I've noticed that um, it's very Methodist of you, but you find the, uh, <laughs> you find the same seat. More creatures a habit though. It's not a Methodist thing. It's, it's just a, it's a people thing, right? But if I walked in here with a blindfold on, thinking I could find my seat, I sit over here usually, and just walking around, banging into people, banging into chairs, bruising my knees, bloodying my toes, and thinking I can see more clear than anyone in the room. That's what pride is like in our lives. We don't know where we're wearing a blindfold, walking around, thinking we see everything perfectly clear, and blinded to our own blindness. Now, let me be clear. State this right up front. We are prideful. All of us are prideful. You may be sitting out there right now saying, Matt, you don't even know me. I'm the most humble guy I know. Pride. The question isn't, am I prideful? The question is, where is my pride rearing its ugly head right now in my life? I have a test I want all of us to take. And I pulled this out of a, a phenomenal book by um, Stuart Scott called The Exemplary Husband. He's talking about pride. Not that men ever deal with pride or husbands deal with pride, but um, he asks these, these questions real quick. Uh, when, I think I added this one, might not be in the book. When is the last time you said these words to a family member or to a, cl a close friend or coworker? I was wrong. I am sorry. Will you please forgive me? When's the last time we said that? When was the last time you gave your opinion without being asked for it? When was the last time you got angry? Do we have any perfectionists here? Perfectionism, a form of pride. How about a lack of gratitude or seeing yourself as better than others? Man, ugh, that one hit me deep. I, I don't know. I just deal with that sometimes. I'm driving down the road. Man, I'm so glad I'm not like that guy. Anybody ever think, I mean, it, it crosses my mind and I'm like, Lord, forgive me. Get that out of my mind, you know? Having an inflated view of ourselves or gifts or our abilities or even being focused on our lack of gifts and abilities. Seriously, how long has it been since you were honest with those around you about our shortcomings in sin. You see, pride keeps us from being real. Pride keeps us from being real. Pride keeps us from any true, in-depth relationship. It builds walls around us and keeps others out from seeing who we really are. Pride flourishes in secrets. If no one truly knows us, we can masquerade, masquerade around as someone else or someone we're not. John Calvin wrote, It is evident that man never attains tr to a true self-knowledge 
until he has previously contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look into himself. Do we have that on the screen? We don't? I'll read it again because it's so good. It is evident that man never attains to a true self-knowledge until he has previously contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look into himself. So, so how do we combat this seductive sin? Scripture calls out this scriptural principle of put off, put on. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not, but all throughout the New Testament and the epistles, Paul talks about putting off sin and putting on righteousness. So how do we, how do we put off pride and, and put on humility? As sin flourishes in secret, so righteousness flourishes in the light. If you have your Bibles, open up to Philippians um, chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 1 through 11. And I'm going to pray as you're turning there. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can come together, that we can uh, sing songs in unity about your glory, about your greatness, that it unifies us and draws us together in tempo and melody, and that it gives you glory, that it focuses our hearts on our Creator. And God, we thank you that we can open your word that is your word, very God-breathed word that is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it cuts deep into our hearts, separating even bone from marrow, your word says. So God, that's our prayer. Let your word cut deep into us, change us, grow us for your glory and for your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, if you don't have your Bibles, you can just follow along on the screen or... You can get out your iPad or your iPhone and follow along that way too. Paul says this, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. There it is again. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord the glory, to the glory of God the Father. God's word for us today. Amen? The first thing I want to pull out of this text is in verse 2. We are called to be unified, and unity is found in humility. So Paul's continuing this theme of community and unity right into chapter 2. And if you didn't know, the chapter breaks that we have in our Bibles weren't there in the original texts. So sometimes that can be kind of confusing. You think, oh, he's starting a new idea or he's going to a new point. Actually, this is a continued point. You can ignore chapter break and go right in here. But he's continuing that idea of community, unity, and he's saying that unity is found in humility. Paul found great joy in the unity of the believers. 
And I believe God finds great joy in our unity. Being of the same mind, he says. Now, I think this, this really speaks to vision. Vision is an enlightened and equipped future by God. What he's done, what he's doing, and what he's going to do here at Mission View Church. That the Bible says that we make our plans, but God directs our steps. We are a church that's on mission. We want every man, woman, and child to experience the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That we would go out into our communities and, and share the good news through just acts of kindness, random acts of kindness. Tangible things that show God's love. We don't want to just go out and say, hey, God loves you. We want to actually go out and show people God loves them. St. Francis of Assisi said, give them Jesus, share Jesus. And if you have to, use words. We want to be a church that loves our community, that loves our neighbors, that shares that, that Christ-like joy that Paul talks about, that Christ-like love with everyone that we come in contact with. Vision is a preferred future that is enlightened and equipped by God. God has a future for Mission View Church. I was looking through some statistics earlier this week. Um, I think it was uh, um, Todd LePage gave me, he knows I love numbers. He gave me this list of numbers. And it was um, the townships and the areas and population of the townships and areas. I kind of drew a circle of like probably a 15 to 25 minute drive kind of circle right where Mission View Church is, right at the heart of North Canton. Guess how many people are in a 20 or so minute drive of North Canton? Any guesses? You can just throw numbers out if you want, just for fun. 30,000, that's a good number. Any others? Over 100,000 people. Over 100,000 people. We live in a community that needs Jesus. Hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, if we ex expanded that circle to, you know, let's say 45 minutes or an hour drive. People are in desperate need of a Savior. Just like you and I are. And Jesus has come into our lives and changed us. You know, I see the future of Mission View Church reaching our community. Not just that 100,000 people, but as we look at Plain Township and, and Jackson and, and all these others that are around us, then we look at Ohio. You know, God calls us to Judea, Samaria, to the, to the ends of the, the earth. It's not just here in North Canton or Jackson or Plain or whatever it may be. It's Ohio, and it's the ends of the earth. That's who God's called us to go to. And that's where we're going. Mission. It talks about mission. This unity and being of the same mind. That each of us has a mission. And all of us collectively have a mission as Mission View Church. And that's to go and make disciples. That Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth idea. But here's something even more specific. You are not here by accident. You are not here by happenstance. We serve a creator God who, who's looking down on us, and he has a mission for you. 
And as we talk about community and we talk about unity, each one of us sitting in these chairs right now has been given specific gifts. And, and my gifts are going to look different than your gifts. And your gifts are going to look different than the gifts of the person you're sitting beside or sitting in front of or sitting behind. You see, God has brought you here for this moment right now. And he has gifted you for this moment right now that you would be a part of the mission that he has set for us and he has set for you. What gifts has God given you? Is it teaching? Is it working with kids? Maybe it's planning. Maybe it's a, a gift of hospitality. You just love having people over to your home. What is it that God's given you? He has purposefully given it to you to serve him in his kingdom right here at Mission View Church. You know, in, in the Christian walk, in our Christian community, none of us are meant to be spectators. There's no such thing. As we go through this and read through this, you're not going to see the gift of spectator. It's not in there. All of us, I'm telling you, everyone sitting in this room, every one of you, no matter how young or how old, God has a calling on your life to use you for his kingdom and for his glory. All of us. Now, here's the problem. We have been gifted by God. We've been called by God and we're here. But some of us are afraid to use those gifts. It's intimidating. I'll be honest with you. It's intimidating. It's hard. You know, to kind of step out there, go to Stephanie and say, you know, Stephanie, I like working with kids. I, I don't know if you, it doesn't look like you guys need help. I mean, it's phenomenal. The children's ministry is great. But I mean, that's kind of a, it's, you know, you don't want to be presumptuous. And it's, you know, it's hard to have that conversation. God's calling you to have that conversation. That you would use your gifts. Maybe it's to be on the worship team. I was talking to Tim. He played uh, acoustic guitar. And, um, and before I knew he, he was playing guitar, I was like, so when are you playing on the worship team? And he goes, oh, well, I'm playing in just a couple weeks. What gifts has God given you? Take that step. Because we are better together. That's what this idea of community and unity that Paul's talking about. If you're not using your gifts for God's kingdom, one, you're missing out. And two, we are all missing out. All of us. It's a double lose. <laughs> it's a lose-lose. You don't get to use your gifts and grow and be a part of what God's doing. And then all of us don't get to benefit from the gifts that God's given you as we work together towards that goal of reaching these 100,000 people or so that God's put in our midst. Okay, did I, did I beat that dead horse too long? <laughs> we all need to be a part. This mission, and this means purpose. It means purpose. All of us are longing for purpose. Purpose. When it's all said and done, at my funeral, I want everyone to say, wow, look at what God did. Look at what God did. Because there's no way possible Matt did any of that. 
That's what I want my funeral to look like. We serve an all-powerful, mighty God who has called us to work with him, and he wants to work through us. You want purpose in your life? You want meaning in your life? There's a real God who wants to be in relationship with you, working through you. That's meaning. That's purpose. It's meaning and purpose that transcends human aspiration or human ambition. It's a purpose to bring glory to God. You know what? You can do a lot for the Lord with your years on this earth. But we can do so much more together. God wants us to come together working towards his vision, fulfilling his mission, and embracing his purpose for our lives. God wants us unified. This made me think about geese. And I love, I don't know, I just think they're kind of majestic creatures as they're flying across the sky. I don't know if you've ever seen like the formation of geese as they're flying over. They just look amazing. Did you know that they fly thousands of miles? Thousands. I did a little bit of research. Thousands of miles. Now those in, in the front rotate their leadership. When one lead goose gets tired, it changes place with one in the wing of the V formation and another flies point. By flying as they do, the members of the flock create an upward air current for one another. Each flap of the wings literally creates an uplift for the bird immediately following. One author said that by flying in a V formation, the whole flock gets 71% greater flying range than if each goose were to fly on its own. Isn't that amazing? 71%. We're talking thousands of miles here. When one goose gets sick or wounded, two fall out of formation with it and follow it down to help protect it. They stay with the struggler until it's able to fly again. I think we can learn a lot from geese. Just looking through this, I was like, man, we could really learn a lot from geese. There is so much more we can do for the Lord together. Now, Paul moves on from this idea of community, this idea of unity, directly into commands towards humility. So in verse 3, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Very, very powerful two verses here. Selfish ambition and conceit. Now this idea of selfish ambition will pop through a couple times here in, um, in uh, Philippians. I think the first one is in chapter 1, verse 17, if I remember right. But anyways, this idea of selfish ambition. That I'm out for numero uno. That I have these aspirations, these ambitions that will glorify me. I'm not, not really concerned about you, the guy beside me, the guy behind me. I am going for it on my own. Now, I'm a, I'm a jogger. I really enjoy jogging. And um, man, I'm really thankful that North Kent has all these trails and stuff. Any, any other runners out there run the trails here? Okay, me. Okay, great. Well, I was out running, yes, was it yes? I think it was yesterday. And um, 
I'm, I'm not a young guy anymore. I'm a little old. So the knees and the hips don't work all that great. So I'm not that fast, okay? Kind of plodding along, doing my miles. And, um, you know, it's great Saturdays. Everybody's on the trails. I run all the time. And usually it's just me and Janelle. But um, it's just, I'm jogging out there. Hey, good morning. You know, seeing everybody. It's, and I'm extrovert. So I'm just loving it. You know, as, as I'm jogging and stuff and saying hi to everybody. And then I see this huge crowd of runners coming. I mean, huge crowd. And, and I, as an older guy, I'm jogging and stuff. If I kind of hit the ground wrong, my ankles tend to give out, you know, and, or my knee will give out. Actually, that hurt my ankle a little bit right there. But anyways, I'm jogging along. And um, now I've got a, a son in college, so I am a little older. But anyways, I'm jogging along and I see this huge group. Now, most of the time when you're jogging, you move to the side, you know, you make room for everybody and, and everybody's nice and everything. These girls were serious. I mean, they didn't care that I, you know, was, was older, that I had a sore back, that my knees weren't all that good. They were on a mission. I mean, they were, they were running, you know, seven-minute miles, and I'm, you know, trucking along at my little 9.30 or 10-minute mile, you know. And they just come right at me, and I'm like, oh, they're, they'll move. Yeah, they'll move. They're, they're going to, ah! And off the side of the trail I go. I was just, I was kind of in shock, you know, as, as this, I, they must have been timing or something for college. Maybe they're Malone students or something. But I'm like over in the grass going, oh my gosh, I'm going to roll an ankle. I'm going to go down. But they hadn't, they could have cared less. They, they, they weren't thinking about the, the poor older guy or anything else. They were just on that mission. Have you ever been there? You ever been there, done that? I was thinking to myself, I was so, I was so, I was so offended. It's like, you're supposed to make room for people. We're supposed to be nice to each other. And the Lord's like, well, Matt, you did the same thing to your wife at the 5K. Is where I said, yeah, we'll run together, sweetie. We'll do this together, right? And then that competitive thing happened, you know? And I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, this guy passes me, and I'm like, oh, this guy's not passing me. Next thing I know, my wife's a half mile behind me. <laughs> you said you'd do it with me. And I was like, yeah, that, that was not nice. <laughs> no, but we, we all go there. We all do those things. But, but this selfish ambition... Vain conceit. What about this one? In humility, consider others better. Ooh, more significant than ourselves. Do we, do we really consider others better than ourselves? Maybe our neighbors that never mow their grass. Or that guy at work drops the F-bomb every three words. Do we really consider others more significant than ourselves? And then I love how he goes, don't just think about your own interests, but also the interests of others. Here's what I like about that is you don't have to give up your own interests. Isn't that kind of neat? He throws that in there. But consider the interests of others. We need to really wrap our minds around these ideas. This selfish ambition, this conceit. That we really start looking at others as better than ourselves. That we'd actually consider other people's interests. Not just our own. So Paul gives us these guidelines for humility that brings unity. 
And it sounds good, doesn't it? To not live out of selfish ambition or vain conceit and consider others more significant and not just think about our own interests, but also the interests of others. It's great to think that, but how do we do it? You could be out there, you could think and be thinking, well, man, we just bear down and do it. We just put our minds to it. We put it on our refrigerator. We write it on our mirror in the bathroom and we have it on our steering wheel of our car and we just do it. We just do it in our own strength. How many of you know that that doesn't work? Right? Like, I, we, we purpose to do these things and we're okay for like five minutes. You know, I'm looking at that memory verse and I'm thinking of those things and I'm just white knuckling that righteousness. I'm white knuckling humility for all I can. And then somebody cuts me off in traffic and I'm not thinking that they're more significant than I am. I'm thinking other things. It's hard. We can all white-knuckle righteousness for a while, but eventually we blow it and fall face first into our own weakness and sin. Now, thankfully, our text today doesn't end there. Paul goes on to give us the key to walking in humility. Check out verses 5 through 8. It says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. Now, this is really important. Write that, circle that, underline it. Is yours in Christ Jesus, because we're going to come back to that at the end here. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Underline that too. Humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So the second point is this. Humility is found in obedience. Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient. Christ obeyed the Father. This is, this is pointing to the garden. We remember that fateful night. Jesus is praying. Had some prayer warriors with him there, snoring. He's alone. He wanted his friends there, but they just fell asleep. Christ was torn inside. Sweat blood. Said things like, Father, if this cup be taken from me, take it from me. But not my will, yours be done. What? Jesus, truly God, truly man, having that kind of conversation, knowing what was to come, the torture the murder on the cross, unjustly accused. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote the following about the surest way to pursue humility. There is only one thing I know, one thing I know of that crushes me to the ground and humiliates me to the dust. And that is to look at the Son of God and especially contemplate the cross. See, obedience is hard. We see it even in Christ. There's so many things that God calls us to do that either don't make sense to us at the time or cause us some type of suffering. 
It's hard. Obedience is difficult. Do you remember being a kid and your mom or dad telling you to do something? You're like, why in the world would I do that? That doesn't make any sense at all. And then, fast forward 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, you have kids of your own, and you find yourself saying the exact same thing to your kids. Do you ever, anybody ever have that deja vu? You're like, oh my gosh, I sound like my dad. Right? It's hard though. When I was a kid, I was like, that doesn't make sense. I don't know why I'm doing this. And then now I'm my dad, and I'm looking at my son, don't do this. You don't want to do that. And he's like, why? It makes total sense. No, no, no. Trust me, man. It's going to be hard if you do this. Obedience is hard. That is why this last point is so vitally important. Look at verses 9 through 11. Therefore, that means that all the stuff we've already read just today and looked at, therefore, because of that, God has highly exalted him, that is Christ, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We find the key to obedience right here. The key to obedience is found in Christ. It's found in Christ. What did I say back in verse 5? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. Think about it. Christ is exalted. It's finished. He is victorious. Therefore, we are victorious. All of what Paul has said here, the directions that he gives, these boundaries, these healthy boundaries that he's given us to walk within, he's not telling us what to do. He's not saying, laying it out, this is what you do. He's telling us who we are. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's who we are in Christ. Everything that Paul listed out there isn't a list of do's and don'ts. It is the fruit of a Christian life lived in relationship with God. That's the whole point. We can't walk in these things in and of our, of our own strength. It takes the power, the miraculous, supernatural power of God, the Holy Spirit, active and alive in our hearts. Oh man, over and over and over again, as we talk about joy, what we're going to find is that God wants to be in relationship with us. It's never a list of do's and don'ts. It's always a come and be in relationship with me. God loves you. God loves you. He doesn't want to take the joy out of your life by giving you a list of things not to do and things to do. He wants to give you ultimate joy, ultimate satisfaction, and it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Do you really know him? Are you growing in your knowledge of him? All of us want to walk in this humility that Paul talks about. Amen? We want this because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And he's given us the keys to the kingdom right here in Christ. That's one of the, that's one of the things that made me really excited to come to Mission View Church. Is that Mission View Church is a worshiping church. I remember the first time that I came, I sat over on the side. I could hear you singing every song. I loved it. I loved it. 
as we sing these songs, it's not just, music's just a tool that God's given us. It's rhythms, it's melodies that we put lyrics to. And you know what happens as we sing these songs, we're singing about God, we're singing to God, we're growing in our knowledge of Him, and we're doing it together. Rhythm brings us together. Melody brings us together. Lyrics bring us together. Worship is such a key, key part of our relationship with God as a body of Christ, as a church coming together. Then what excited me about Mission View Church was your willingness to, to open the word. And, and as I watched sermons that Pastor Steve gave and others gave, they, they opened this book and they just said what it said. No apologies. God's word, God breathed, let's do it. All of this in relationship with Christ. We're a worshiping church. We're a, a Bible-centered, Christ-centered, God's word-centered church on mission, on mission together for what he's called us to do and what he's called us to be. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to know God more. It's easy for us to, to hear these things and go through these things and just, you know, par for the course and go through life. But if we're really reading this correctly, if I'm really preaching this correctly, and you're really hearing this correctly, it has to overflow. It has to overflow. It's not just an hour on Sunday morning. It's a life lived out in sacrifice for the King of kings and Lord of lords. It overflows into our relationships with our neighbors. It overflows in our relationships with our, our unsaved friends and family members. It overflows into our community groups when we come together and share about what God's doing in our lives. It overflows when we share our weaknesses, where we've fallen and where we need help. We can't be a church that just comes and sits in chairs on Sunday morning. That's not a church at all. We have to let it overflow. And the way we let it overflow is we just pour out our hearts to God as God pours out his spirit and pours out his love and his goodness on us. And we can't help, we cannot help but share that joy, that goodness, that Savior God with everyone we meet. Now, I can't do that. And you can't do that. But God can do that. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Such a powerful word, God. That it is in Christ. These ideas of joy and obedience and humility. Or all, all these things that Paul's really pointing out. He bookends this, this with in Christ. God, that is only in you. So Father, we just say we are completely and fully dependent on you. Come and be God in our midst. Come and be God in our lives. We trust you. We will obey. Lord, we will sacrifice for you because that's what you've done for us. We love you, Lord. Take our lives. 
Ring them out for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.